Howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Hey guys, it's Scott, and welcome back to yet another exciting episode of Lip Service. I'm excited for our first collaboration with Spin Magazine. This will be the first episode that we collaborate with Spin on. And my guest today is no other than the godfather of alternative underground rock and roll, the lead singer of Jane's Addiction, Corner for Pyros, his solo career, and the creator and visionary behind Lollapalooza and now Kind Future, Mr. Perry Farrell. So coming up in just a moment, joining us live, Mr. Perry Farrell. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Our show today is brought to you by the fine folks at Thursday's Boot Company. You guys have seen me rocking these boots in every other picture I have on Instagram. I'm always repping them. Thursday's Boots is a bootstrap startup that makes the best handcrafted boots and sells them direct to consumer at some of the lowest markups in the footwear industry. Thursday's Boots tagline is highest quality, honest prices because they use some of the best materials like full grain leather, supple glove leather lining, and gold standard Goodyear welt construction. Thursday's Boot Company sells their boots at prices starting at just $149 with free shipping and returns. They've been featured in all the best fashion press, from Esquire to GQ to Cosmo and Vogue. And more, more importantly, they've gotten over 20,000 five-star reviews from real customers. Thursday's boots are perfect for people who understand quality and don't want to pay a high retail markup for great-looking pair of boots that are built to last. So check them out at Thursday's Boots on Instagram. My favorite shoes, my favorite boots. You always see me repping them. You'll love it. Hey, howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. My guest today is the godfather of alternative underground rock and roll, the lead singer of Jane's Addiction, Porn for Pyros, his solo career, and the creator and visionary behind Lollapalooza, and now Kind Future with Eddie, Mr. Perry Farrell, my old friend. How you doing, Scott? I'm doing great. Great to see you, by the way. So yeah, there's so much to get into, Perry. I mean, you have the new box set, the glitz and the glamour, so I want to get into that. You know, this show is really like your life story, and you've led an incredible life. We met probably 20-some-odd years ago, I guess. Uh, I was just telling That's the right. story of Maddie Silver, how we initially yeah. connected. But uh, even before that, and you and I think I've told you this story, Perry, probably, I don't know, three or four times. But the first show I ever performed in L.A. was at the Park Plaza Hotel with my band, Black Cherry, with Bruce Moreland on bass. Wow. We do opening up for you guys. I was a kid. I came to L.A., you, I think you had on like lingerie. I, I didn't know what was going on, but I was like, there's a movement going on in LA that I need to be a part of. It is an incredible movement. So there's been 35 years since then. And what an incredible career you've had. So, but take me back to the beginning, Perry, because you grew up, we actually, I don't know if you know, but I grew up in Woodmere and you were, I think, born in Queens. And then yeah, you grew up in Woodmere to too. Yeah, I did. 
Yeah, so what talk to me about your it? childhood and, and just growing up and, and what you were exposed to musically, too. Well, it's funny you should ask. So today I went to my, uh, went for an appointment because I thought I might have given myself another hernia, but my doctor said I'm okay. But he said to me, he goes, I just listened to you on um, Beatles radio because we recorded a track for Paul McCartney. Um, got to get you into my life. Yeah. The Beatles were a huge influence on me when I was a little boy, growing up in Queens, especially. By the time I got to Woodmere, oh, I remember hearing Led Zeppelin for the very first time, whole lot of love. And I thought this guy can't sing, it's terrible, you know? But then I just fell in love with Zeppelin later. But I must've been in first or second grade when I heard Zeppelin for the first time in Woodmere. Um, I loved, I first began my love of music though, when I lived in Queens as a little boy because I had an older brother and sister who are super into music. At that time, the British invasion was happening. My brother and my sister are a good eight and 10 years older than me. So I was this, not such an accident. I think I was, I was put in place to try to save my mother's marriage, mm. but it wasn't to be. So she was left with taking care of me. And she had a 10 year old and an eight year old. And now she's got this newborn and my father's trying to get away from the family and marry somebody else. So that all came crashing down. My mom ended up to commit suicide, but, but we loved music in the house. Like back in those days, I can remember hearing good love, give me that good, good love, good love, what I need is love, right? In my house, dogs barking, my brother fucking screaming at the top of his lungs, my sister, you know, he's got that breakdown. Aww. Yeah, of course. Good love, you know, and then it pops back into it. And I fell in love with music then. My brother was trying to be a, uh, a singer at that time. He was hanging out with this group, The Left Bank. Mm. They sing that song, Don't Walk Away, Renee. I can't, I can't <laughs> sing it because my son's practicing above me and he's playing. Yeah, I hear something going on there. It's like but, an echo or something. He's playing um, Beatles. Oh, yeah. He's playing okay. Beatles, Day Amazing. Tripper. Amazing. So it's hard to sing across it, but <laughs> I'm going to keep doing it because I love listening to my son practice. It's <laughs> so killer. He's an, it's amazing. So at a certain point, you're listening to Bowie, Iggy, I guess, and Lou Reed. That was in that was in uh, when I went moved down to Florida. Okay. In my high school, so this is early '70s. I moved to Florida um, at the age of 13, and yeah, then I was reading Cream magazines, and yeah. I had a few freaky friends, you know, that we loved music. We couldn't wait for the next Zeppelin to drop. And we were introduced to Lou Reed and he was so sick yeah. and like and brilliant and Iggy and of course, David Bowie. Yeah. By the way, there's a great story about how you met Bowie, which I'm kind of jumping ahead, but I remember there you had some interactions with him later on in life, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Do you want me to tell you about it? I, I do, because I love that story. But And then we'll go back to when you moved to LA and you started your musical career. 
they're a little tragic because I found out later, years, years later, that he was um, into our music. And I would hear these stories of him coming to check us out. I didn't know he was there. And, um, but I, you know, when I, when I started to get into music and everybody, you first emulate your heroes, you know? And Bowie was at the top of that list because I was, I felt that I could closest emulate him because of my frame mm -hmm. and because of my, um, my register, like where I was, I could hit really high notes too, but he liked to croon and I could do that stuff. But, um, and I also love Jagger, Mick Jagger, um, again, because of his frame and yeah. my range, I could hit his, I could hit his notes. So I thought, and plus, I just love their lifestyle. I love what they were about, you know? Yeah, stylistically. Stylistically. Yeah. They just like androgynous and wild. And it was the life for me, Scott. Yeah, and at a certain point, you decide to move to LA. I think it's like early 80s, right? And you start surfing. So talk to me about right. that and kind of how you formed the first band, Psycom, because that will then tie into your new box set, which we'll get into. So by the time I got out to California, it was just right after I graduated high school. I wanted to get my diploma, took a Greyhound out to California, and I was by myself, but I got deeper into, you know, I was living up in uh, Hemet, California, which is the high desert, and I was a framer, but I was living with this kid who was also on my crew, on my construction crew, and, uh, you know, when you work construction, after work, you get a 12-pack, and you guys sit down, the crew sits down and just drinks until they just pass out, and they do it again. They get up the next morning, and they frame in the day, and when the weather cools off, they sit around, and they shoot the shit. And I was living with one of the kids that was also on my crew, and he had this huge stack of um, Zap comics. Mm. San Francisco, see the uh, this poster behind me. Oh, Rick cool, Rippin. yeah, yeah. That was a Hendrix poster, original Hendrix poster. But um, Rick Griffin was one of the main illustrators in Zap Comics, and I super got into the San Francisco uh, lifestyle. Was that around there. the Robert Crumb time period? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Sure, yeah. Sure. So I loved, and I was an artist myself, so. I would, I um, love to draw what they call cross hatching with a rapidograph. It was a small pen that you could exchange the tips and get thicker lines or thinner lines. It was very um, intricate patterns, but um, anyway, I got into it because I want, I was an artist in high school. I would sure. draw magazines myself. I had this one magazine I called um, Surf Rat. And so all my friends would gather around when I had a new episode of Surf Rat. I would draw like Surf Rat going up coast and he's hit Sebastian Inlet. And man, the surf is going crazy, you know, but, <laughs> but um, now he's got to go take a shit. And so he uses <laughs> his friend's underwear that, and his friend's going, where's my underwear? And Surf Rat wiped his ass with his underwear and he found out <laughs> 
but he saw his underwear in the bushes and he went crazy on <laughs> surf rat you know it was like real stories because i really did wipe my ass with jimmy's underpants once <laughs> so at, at a certain point you decide that this musical journey is for you you're in la well yeah i wasn't thinking music in those days it was all surf yeah yeah i was a surfer and i was lucky enough to be uh, to hang with the with the main surf crew crowd in florida um and then when i came out to california it was just purely to catch the wild surf you know yeah and at what point um, did you decide that music was going to be your journey and path? Well, it was an accident. So what happened was I, I got a job out here at delivering liquor to liquor stores and nightclubs. And one of the nightclubs, I was waiting for the woman, the woman who was the manager of the nightclub to sign off on all the liquor. And so they, I was at the bar and there was this television screen that was playing like a modeling show of the sh of the nightclub. And when the lady came back, she said, are you a model by any chance? And I, I lied and I said, well, yeah, 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 I do model. And, <laughs> and I said, I can do it all. I sing and I dance. And she goes, well, yeah, we need, you know, we, we, would you like to come back and be part of this show? So I said, you know, sure, I'll do it, but I can do for you something even better than just modeling, I could, why don't you let me impersonate, do some impersonations. I can impersonate, you know, Frank Sinatra, and I was making it up, Frank Sinatra, <laughs> Bowie, um, you know, Mick Jagger. So she said, all right, I got, I got the job doing that. And then it was just like I was David Bowie. I dressed up like Ziggy, and then girls would be waiting to talk to me afterwards. <laughs> with their guy, you know, uh, sugar daddy, just waiting there, kind of like <laughs> snubbing their nose at me, but what could they do? Cause this woman's like passionately wanting me. And I just thought, man, I, I'm going to do this. So when I, I'm, then there was this, there was this guy, um, he came down to see me. I was modeling with one kid whose brother was, a manager of, this is, I gotta go slow to tell you the relation, the connection. So one of the kids I was modeling with's brother was a manager. He managed this guy, David, who was on NSI. CSI? CSI, oh. David, this... he had red hair. Okay. He was a very popular TV actor. Yeah. So this, uh, his friend, his friend wanted he would come down. There were, there were, you know, uh, West Hollywood crew, if you yeah. know what I mean. Yeah. And they, he wanted to manage me. So I, you know, I had nothing to lose, man. I was honestly, I mean, I was living hand to mouth. I had a girlfriend, but, um, I lost her when we were both homeless. We lived up in LA on the outskirts of LA. I was living in Hermosa beach out of my car with her. Mm. and uh she she didn't stay with me for very long she was like with me for about two weeks and she was just fuck this i'm out of here she went back to newport beach and hooked up with one of the guys that used to come to the nightclub and to be honest with you 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 appreciate this so we were also kind of i guess escorting would be the right term i would have to go and entertain women on these wow 
chips and stuff. You know the gig. I mean, when you're right. modeling. Sure, I knew nothing about this. Both, <laughs> it's incredible. You don't know anything about this? <laughs> I didn't know about this with you. I didn't know you. No, not with yeah. me. Yeah, 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 sure. But but um, she was doing it. I was doing it. Like, But then we would like lose each other. Where'd they go? Mm. We'd go off to different rooms. So she ended up going back with the guy who would throw the yacht parties and lived with him for about two years. Fucked my head up pretty bad because, yeah, you know, she was they, they were she was blowing them on the ship. You know, uh, she was always fucking my head up. Mm. This is one of the first like heartbreaks I had in my life. Yeah, yeah. This chick was too wild to contain. But um, where which was then I? Led so to I some, which then to, led to some great music, by the way. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So then I moved up to Hollywood with this manager. He was managing me. He was trying to get me to be an actor. So I, I studied method acting, Stanislavski method acting with uh, one of the protégés of Lee Strasberg. Hmm. But it wasn't for me. Um, they would send me out sometimes on like toothpaste ads. And I had fucked up teeth back in those days. And I was like, I'm never going to get this job. Yeah. And I don't like having to act like I'm into toothpaste, you know? So I want, I, I knew that I had some kind of personality and, and um, uh, I was compelling as, as a singer. I had proven it by impersonating David Bowie like three times and, you know, Frank Sinatra three times. But anyway, so then I started auditioning for groups up here in LA and it was pretty cool because in those days, it was punk rock, so I got to slide in there. They didn't, you know, sometimes I would run into a band I would audition for. They really knew their scales and they knew their, right. you know, they knew theory. Yeah. I didn't know shit. And I still don't know, to be honest with you. I never, I learned like five chords. So at a certain point, Perry, you meet the guys in SciComm. Oh, so yeah. So I'm still living with this guy but it's not working out between us for many reasons. Like, uh, I just didn't want to do it, everything he told me to. And, uh, and I decided, you know, I was hanging out with the punkers. I decided, fuck this, I'm cutting my hair. I'm shaving my hair into a mohawk. I'm piercing my fucking nose. I'm scarring myself, I'm tatting myself. I'll never get a job in Hollywood and I don't give a fuck. So, it's just, uh, I was auditioning and auditioning. And then I was very fortunate because I ran into a crew. They were really smart. Just everything I wanted. I didn't want to, I didn't want to hang out with dummies. You know, the, the, the punk rock people, they might look like they're kind of almost like crude and thick, but the, uh, the LA underground, they were full of like fat the fashion people, yeah. writers, critics. Back then it was artists. like the weirdos, right? And the Mau Mau's was all those bands, right, Perry? Yeah. yeah. The Mau Mau's had this guy. He was the skinniest guy. Yeah, Rick, of all I believe of us. his name was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'd see him on the street walking. <laughs> and I would just go like, no, he's not gonna be here. I won't see him in a year. And then sure enough, two years later, there'd be walking on Hollywood. <laughs> 
in the boulevard. Oh, oh my God, he's still alive. That's crazy. <laughs> I think he's still alive from what I understand. But That's uh, cool. That's yeah, great. Yeah. I'd love to see him again. Rick Wilder, maybe? Does that ring a bell? I think that was his Rick, name. I just knew Rick Malmel. Yeah. So at a certain point, you, you know, you do Psycom, and you, I think you answered an ad in The Recycler, right? No, it wasn't The Recycler. Yeah, it might have been The Recycler. There was three mat trades, three rags. One was The Recycler. It was free. The LA Weekly came out on Thursdays. It was free. Then you had to buy the Music Connection. And so, and plus the Music Connection connected you with cats that were kind of like metal guys. And the metal guys like really trying to get their act together. We're going to do this. We're going to play the Zaris. We're going to be a big band, you know. Yeah. The other cats were like into, you know, Joy Division. I always start with it. If they said they're in a Joy Division, Joy Division was heavy. And, you know, yeah. I, I really looked up to them. Um, they, I was introduced to the underground incredible music through Rick and Mariska, who were in my first band, uh, Psycom. And it was right up my alley. They, you know, the underground, it was for people like me. I was, yeah, I was a messed up, but very nice person, but I was messed up from my, you know, uh, from my early days, <laughs> early days, my family was, was, uh, not conducive to raising a normal anyway human being but i think i would have ended up even if even if they were my mother was an artist my father was an artist my brother was an artist my sister wasn't an artist but she was such a loving person that she ended up to be a caregiver for severely retarded mm. people people that can't take care of themselves yeah and she just loves these people and and can laugh and you know i would see them and i would just get so uh depressed and inward but she'd be like laugh they're like if they're they're making a joke to her and she would love them and feed them and change them boy she's a saint my sister yeah sounds like a beautiful person yeah, it is really special. It sounds incredible. So when you're looking back on this time period now, Perry, and you're, and you're revisiting this music now with Psycom because it's part of this box set that you just put out, what are your thoughts on the music now that, now that you've had like years to reflect on it? Psycom's music? Yeah. Well, um, you know, it's very, it's very raw. And I like the fact that there's a record of it. It's kind of like, we'll talk about our pal Bowie. You know, he had that first record where he sang Laughing Gnome, silly yeah. songs. Ha, yeah. ha, ha, hey, 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 yeah. I'm the Laughing Gnome and you can't catch me. <laughs> silly. But you're just so psyched to listen to. It was like, wow. And he was like a really, almost a little kid. He wrote these songs. Yeah. Out of little kid to a, whatever that is next after puberty. And he, it, it's it's adorable my stuff wasn't adorable my stuff was i was already writing about you know fixing and mm. and uh and death things like that so it was very goth you know but uh i'm glad i got away from it because 
I, I would say to myself, you know, if you, it seems like you're going in a good direction here, I would say to myself, and I'd say, do you want to be like Robert Smith and have to sing dreary all your life? Cause there's a good chance you're not going to be that dreary pretty soon <laughs> because I was just feeling like, man, I'm going to bust out of this down bummer and downer and I'm going to be, I'm going to get, what, what could I do coming from that? That would be genuine. Yeah. So it was Jane's addiction, still talking about death, still talking about fixing, but now there's love and now there's excitement. Now there's pageantry and, and there's reason to celebrate, you know? Yeah. So you meet, you meet Eric Avery and Dave and Stephen Perkins. And initially, actually, I think you went through like four guitar players and a couple of drummers before you decided on Dave and Stephen, right? So talk to me about how you guys got together. And obviously we want to touch base on, on all your projects, but the story of James Addiction is so interesting. And again, my first introduction to you guys was at the Park Plaza, that gig we did together. And I was yeah. blown away. And who would know that you would set the stage, Perry, for countless and countless bands to come and actually start a, a sort of a genre of music. Yeah, it's interesting. Pretty incredible. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I, I uh, count my lucky stars every day. So how did we all meet? Jane uh, Bainter. Oh, shit. I shouldn't say her name, but yeah, why not? Jane introduced me to Eric. So I was looking for a roommate. We had um, had the great curator, Stuart Sweezy, who started Desolation Center, along with his brother. And um, I worked for those guys. I worked for those guys um, at something called a stat house. So stat houses, basically commercial artists use stat houses to create all their advertisement uh, in trades and magazines back in the 80s. Now everything's done on a computer. Digital, yeah, sure. But back in those days, they would have to take their art to a camera house and the camera house would shoot it in different sizes, give it back to them and they would exacto knife their letters and their images and move it around on a board, then shoot that and that would be their ad. I worked in there and those guys also did Desolation Center, mm. which was they, they took people out to the desert or downtown. And uh, when I mean they, I, they took people, people meaning the, the LA underground back then, it was the early eighties. And we performed with groups like the Minutemen mm -hmm. and uh, Meat Puppets came in from Arizona. Sonic Youth came in from New York and Eisters into Neubauten came in from Berlin. And we went out into the desert and we would have these parties where we'd go on a big boat that Stuart would put together uh, in San Pedro and cruise in the harbor. And our groups would just play on the boat. Amazing. Bunch of punk rockers cruising around yeah. that harbor. It was one, you know, some of the most memorable moments of my life were back then. And I and I really studied people's joy and people's, you know, uh, what made them happy, what made them tick and what made them go. And this was a time around Dow Gloria, White Trash, a go-go, right? All it was sort no, of. No, this is before that. Before, okay. Before that in Psycom. Oh, okay. So, okay. so Stuart was my roommate and I worked with his brother, but Stuart moved out. 
So I had a hole there. In moves Jane. Jane told me, I'm about to bust out of Psycom. And Jane says, I know a guy who's, I just want to do something else. And I'm willing to start from scratch. Like Eric and I originally just started going out as a two piece. He would play bass grooves and I would do my vo vocal loops and sing and I would, and I would ad lib the whole Amazing. set. Amazing. Yeah. So I work on songs and whatever songs I would be working on, I would, um, had, you know, scratch lyrics. He started to groove out. And of course, by then I memorized it, but, and I would just keep going. Like there's this other song, Hoka Hey, I'm going to work, or um, it would be, um, you know, it could be a kettle whistle. What makes a kettle whistle? Just working off of his groove. Then I'd put a hold on my delay and then I'd start to manipulate the delay, the notes of the delay and the speed. And that's how I started dubbing and creating the, J the Jane sound really started from a very small seed and grew into an oak, if you will, or a redwood. Amazing. Yeah, because there was actually two scenes, right? There, there was like sort of the hard rock metal scene. So you had all these bands. I mean, you had bands that were sort of in the middle, like Junkyard and bands like that. But then you had your scene, which was obviously you guys were running the show and it was, it was the scream. It was white trash. And then on the other side, you had yeah. all these like, rock bands. So you were kind of paving the way, like I said, to a new genre of music that really didn't exist. So talk to me about that time period. It was such an incredible rock, time Because period. rock, that, that type of rock has got a rock root. Feel me? Uh, yeah. I'm not kidding you. Like it, for me, that's not, that's not going to grow anymore. Mm. That looks like that's just, that's it because it, it was corporatized and they had cats in control that were trying to formula, create formulas for making money more than there were people that loved art and music, you yeah. know, and yeah. culture. Definitely. They were not culturalists. They were not great curators. Definitely not. <laughs> and working in that, in that field that, you know, I always say, or I'm saying these days, the music industry has got all these pods, got all these, you know, tribes within it. You know, there's some tribes that they're after the Grammy. Some of them are after um, Hall of Fame. Some of them dig dance music. Yeah. Some of them dig, you know, punk rock and rock and underground and, and avant-garde. And, you know, we're all, we're all lip going through time and space together, but it's very, those cats that are Grammy and Hall of Fame, they're, they're not, they're very, you know, they might be my cousin or something like that, but they're definitely not my tribe. Definitely. And then, and then um, that type of music was not something I just was interested in. It's just that simple. Yeah. I wanted to, I was inspired by people that were authentic, genuine, and they were, yeah, they had their own personality. And it was amazing. I learned from those type of artists. And those type of artists, if I learn anything from them, it's that what I like about them is that they're original. And they're not mm -hmm. trying to jump on some train that or, or 
you know, some tree that is uh, got rock root, sure. rock root. <laughs> so um, I, I just, I couldn't help myself. I just, I just liked the journey of more avant-garde, experimental, the way that, again, my friend David Bowie, yep. I loved his career and I loved his life. The way he went, his last record was unbelievable. Incredible. Um, Black Star. And what is it? It's not, it's not really rock, or at least the song that I love is not rock. It's orchestra. It's, you know, what I love right now, Scott, I'm really into the idea of orchestra because, but a new orchestra, orchestra in, you know, the 2020s. Yeah. Um, because you can have everything that they had in the 1940s, the Count Basies, the uh, Duke Ellingtons, um, who else was there? Cab Calloways. You can have everything that they had, plus electric guitar, bass, and electric drums, and synth, synth, and and um, surround sound. You know the choir they had. Yeah, they had incredible music. I loved, I loved their composition. And um, I loved the, the variety that they had at their- Their fingertips. At, at yeah. their fingertips. Yeah. And hey, when you look at your body yeah. of work then, Perry, Porno for Pyros, Satellite Party, your solo stuff, Kind Heaven Now, it's an incredible body of work besides James, right? And so you recently put out this box set, which covers like 35 years, right? This retrospective. And let's talk about it for a moment. Like, what are the- what sticks out in your head the most when you think about that time period? Is it the porno, you know, side? Is it satellite party? Is it, you know, is it the James stuff? Is it kind of heaven? Kind of heaven. Kind of heaven. You're thinking of you're thinking of uh, odd future. Those odd cats, future, right, kind of heaven. Odd Chicago, yeah. they're amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're kind of heaven. Yeah. Um, so what sticks out? Um, honestly, I think. There was a change, a great change in me by the time "Song It to Be Sung" came out. Mm. I was flying solo, and I felt like a bird. I had all these amazing songs and sounds on the record, and it was the, the year of Jubilee. It was around two thousand, two thousand and one, mm. and at that time, there was an incredible cause. Drop the Debt, I worked on with Bono and Tom York. Um, and uh, and the, the rabbis of Israel. It was about declaring Jubilee and foregoing all debt and freeing slaves. And I went to Sudan under the radar and I, I did. I freed thousands of people from a life of slavery. Amazing. Wow. Incredible. Yeah. So I, you know, I had that all in my heart mm. and it came out on music. I wanted to make a beautiful record. So it was my first dive into electronic music and all the rock instrumentation that we had 
loved and grown up with and utilized at first. Yeah. So I wrote along with Brendan Hawkins and Chris Sharma. I wrote every note digitally and then we layered it on. We had real guitar, real drum, real bass, but but it was layered onto digital programming that I had done over the course of three years mm. with a team of three guys. So it's it's an incredible album. Yeah, and you got Tony Visconti to produce it, right? Talk no, about a Tony, little bit how that came about. Tony Visconti did the the last album. Yeah, which is Kind Heaven. Right, exactly. So Tony, Tony and I and uh, the Kind Heaven Orchestra that included people like Elliot Easton, uh, Mike Garson played piano with Bowie, and Elliot was the guitarist for the Cars. And uh, Pete Stefano from Porno. Yep. Um, Etty, who's been singing with me for last 12 years. Yeah. And Tony Visconti producing it. And uh, again, learning from Song It To Be Sung, now I wanted to just continue to develop this because now my, our music can go anywhere. Definitely. I could go mariachi if I wanted to. I could go punk, like Daft Punk, if I wanted to. I could go. I could go. Um, I could go political folk if I mm. wanted to. Yeah. I'd go anywhere now. I'm not afraid of. I'm not afraid to switch it up and just be delighted by the uh by the creation yeah well you've always been a visionary 100 percent. and Thank so let's you. talk about this box set because there's songs in there you did a track with jim morrison which is incredible yeah. you did new well, music with starcrawler exactly well not so i mean exactly you unearthed the track him, but <laughs> right. i i yes i utilized jim morrison's song that no one has heard in the world yeah so I talk about it. how that came about I got it from some people that I had never met, sent it to me from Israel that told me that Jim wanted me to have this, these tracks that he had recorded and they sent them to me and the, it is in fact Jim Morrison and I have recorded now and produced two tracks. I think they sent maybe eight or nine. So and these are just tracks that were laying around that like, you did vocals. I don't know. I don't know how they got their hands on them. Mm. They claimed that Jim Morrison, they were in contact with him and he wanted me to have them. Incredible. Well, it's, in, I mean, the music is incredible and it's such an incredible story. And so the rest of the box set, let's talk about that for a moment, right? Because it's Psycom, it's Satellite Party, Kind of Heaven, there's a photo book. Uh, and the albums are like holograms, which is pretty incredible when you take them out. They have these yeah, holograms so on them. You've got vinyl. Yeah. I, I'm into right now with my boys, especially they're asking me to, to do this is like record shopping. Yeah. So when the pandemic's over, I, it's really fun to have old records and really great new records around, you know, it, yeah. it really is. Definitely. It, it makes your household very special. It's like bringing in, you know, quartzes, giant giant stones and rocks yeah it's almost like that but sonic yeah yeah what are kids into musically the beatles i i understand right 
yeah, he was doing Beatles. <laughs> he loves Joy Division. It's, it is nutty because you never know what your kid's going to like. And, you know, when they're very, very young, they didn't know, they didn't know what they know now, obviously. Now one's 19 and one is 17. Now they're into Zappa mm. and, and they're into the Beatles, sure. But yeah. they're into some, whoa, I go, whoa. My son <laughs> bought me a Velvet Underground loaded album for my birthday. Amazing. Vinyl, 17 year old. Incredible. Killer. We share, uh, we share the fondness for this one song. Um, Oh, ain't got nothing to lose. Ain't got nothing at all. Oh, sweet nothing. Ain't got nothing. Ain't got nothing at all. You know that song? Yeah, amazing. Sweet nothing, I think it's called by by Velvet Underground. So he's so he's so he's such a good good kid that he remembered that we we love that song got me that on vinyl for my birthday incredible by the way amoeba music just opened up again because they were closed like the last year so uh it opened up like three days ago so i spent a lot of time there but another thing i wanted to talk about parrot there's new tracks with star crawler on the on the yeah and talk about how that came about too so you know that ian jenkinson is my manager yeah you know got uh you know rob mcdermott as well and uh, those guys are kind of solid in there. Then there's uh, uh, Ian Benchley out of the UK, but this team is fierce. And Ian had a lot to do with the whole uh, British house music. He started in Manchester and then moved uh, house music and dance music out all the way to Goa. This guy was instrumental in the sh- in the uh, in the festivals. Wow! Trouble gathering. He that's him. Amazing. So he know he he's like so into the underground and the and the quality music in this world. So he brought Star Starcrawler to me because we're looking we look you know we're looking to get remixes out. Yeah. Through people like Sasha, but also people like. Sammy from Palestine, Guy Gerber in Israel. Yeah. And so we're working with super tasty artists. There's a whole bunch of them. There's avalanches in Australia. These guys, these young people come out of Venice. Um, This girl Arrow is just a star. Mm. But I, I think they're awesome. So Ian introduced me to them and we just said let's let's do a show together and i say let's do a track together too that we can all do at the show incredible it's great stuff and so this is really like a 35 year retrospective so it's incredible it just came out right just came out yeah yeah it was a crazy time to drop it right at the pandemic but it's at the end of the pandemic so this is going to be good music coming out of the pandemic because that's what i wanted that's what i built it for Definitely, to definitely. Come out, mend. Let's mend, heal, and then let's fucking listen to good music. 100%. And how are you feeling for 2022 about the festival world? Obviously, Lollapalooza is your creation. Uh, I know you did a virtual Lollapalooza not long ago. So, how are you feeling for festivals coming back? I know Bonnaroo was just announced not long ago. And so, that nice. for me, it makes me optimistic because 
There's a lineup. It's happening. I think it's in September, October. So I'm feeling fairly good that by next year, things should be hopefully back to normal. Would you, any thoughts on Lollapalooza for 2022? Okay. Well, here's my thoughts. Um, I'm, I'm a little bummed in my heart that human beings don't understand that they need to get vaccinated and put a mask on and social distance yeah. so that we can all get back to business. 100%. Like, yeah, yeah, you can exercise your right as an American. That's, that argument's bullshit, honestly. Mm, agreed. We all want to get back together again and you're fucking it up and making it impo- not impossible, but you're making it more difficult. Yeah. That's all you're doing. If you want to really be a bro, go get a fucking vaccination. I agree. Oh, there's a reason why the cases are at an all-time low now, because I think some people are getting vaccinated, but imagine if oh, everyone got vaccinated. It. No, yeah. the White House is killing it. Yeah, yeah, they're doing It's right. going to happen, but it's going to happen later rather than sooner, because there are still people that are going to just muck it up. Yeah, no question. It's just going to happen. It's already happened. I mean, you know, Chris Como last night talked about the horses out of the wet, the horses out of the barn already about it. People are not going to start to, you know, wear masks. They're going back to school and they're not, they may not get vaccinated. It's like, he's right. Yeah. They yeah. are going to do that in part, but then eventually we're going to do it, but it's just going to take months longer before I'm going to feel good. For sure. Definitely. So you think it may be 2022 for Lollapalooza? We hope. I would say definitely. Now, no, I'm not going to say definitely because there's all these variants now arising and people just, it's the knuckleheads. I'm sorry. Yeah, 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 that's true. No question. No question. So, so, but this is what I'm, this is what I have planned. This is like uh, public knowledge yeah so biden says july 4th Mm -hmm. but i'll go behind that and say august first weekend of august Mm. but if july 4th doesn't work out then august first weekend of august isn't going to work out yeah that's just how it is so i i'm kind of cautiously behind the white house okay that's the way to play it yeah i agree i agree i'm gonna say again they're doing a great job they are. They are. And I got vaccinated. I'm sure you did. So we're part of the solution here. Hopefully, I am. Yeah. I just found my card. I was spazzing out. I lost my card. But <laughs> well, my... now it goes in your wallet, too. It's like in your electronic wallet. But... Wait a minute. Where's your damn thing? Oh, yeah. There it is. Amazing. There, there. Yeah. Take a shot of that. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. By the way, let me just ask you, when you wake up like during the day, what's a typical day do you like when you wake up? Okay, so the first thing I would do is start to stretch. So I, I'll turn on uh, ESPN or CNN or WSNBC and just get news coming at me while I'm on the floor stretching or I'll go to a Pilates reformer and stretch. I do that for about maybe two hours. And then I'll get some breakfast and might go back to bed and take a a real slim nap and then at around uh between 12 and 1 i'll wake up and get the day going so i'll get dressed and then 
um, <clears throat> I'll either have um, a team meeting or I'll do interviews prior to going into the studio. So, wait, but wait, so after the meetings, I'll take a fresh air break and I'll go out and I'll do a, an hour to an hour and a half walking my dogs or um, biking, ride, ride my bike or something before I come back. And then in the studio, I'll be till between nine and 1130. And by the way, I want to ask you during the lockdown, did you create a lot of music? Wait, wait, but there's sex involved. <laughs> oh, yeah, I we, just want to tell you talk what, about that. what part of that part of the day that is. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's that there's that we forgot so listen i'm so excited about your box set pair it's so great to see you in person by Thank the way you. i'm looking forward to actually connecting with you i mean we're old friends for yeah. 20 plus years here so in person I would be know. great you and etty i love you both it's incredible go pick up the glitz and the glamour make sure you follow pair on every form of social media the Thank box you. set's incredible nine vinyl albums care everything from psycom satellite party kind of heaven a photo book and the albums are also holograms, which is incredible. So, and any other new music we should know about? Any other? Any yeah, other? well, last thing I would mention in the box set is I have a surround sound 7.2 mix of uh, the Kind Heaven Orchestra, Amazing. which means if you have a home studio that watches movies and yeah. is in surround sound, put that in. It's a Blu-ray and you'll hear Kind Heaven Orchestra in the round. Amazing. Yeah. Well, hopefully I'll see the kind heaven orchestra in person coming yeah. up soon. Soon. Uh, I love you, my brother. Thank you for coming on. It's always Thank a pleasure to see you. Me. And yeah, and a lot of love to Etty, and I'll, I'll see you guys real soon. Appreciate right. it. You take okay. care. Bye. Bye. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. So there you have it, guys. The king of alternative rock and roll, alternative underground rock and roll, Mr. Perry. Farrell, what an interesting human being, great human being. Perry has really changed the course of music in his festival life. I don't think the festival world would be what it is without Perry Farrell, having started Lollapalooza. And then I feel like Coachella was somewhat connected to that. So I don't think modern music festivals in the U.S. would be the same without someone like Perry Farrell. So I appreciate him coming on. The show is free. Please make sure to rate and review the show. Pick up Perry's new box set. And uh, thanks for tuning in. I'll speak to you guys soon. Stay safe. Hey, how'd it do, y'all? I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and Western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.